Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Joining me today and each episode from here on out is my co-host and my partner in Parkinson's, Rebecca Gifford. Hello, I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) honey, have you been seeing more and more headlines about potential breakthroughs in Parkinson's recently, or is that just me? There is a lot that's changing and evolving and a lot of new things happening in the Parkinson's community. It's exciting. Yeah, being in the news business and working with so many different PD organizations, I do see a lot of news every day about Parkinson's. Most of it is really encouraging and some of it is even game changing. Uh, As if we were so close to disease modifying treatments for Parkinson's, you you could smell it if you still can smell things. Uh, so <laughs> so I thought, what better way to set the stage for 2021 than with a bushel full of hope, which I serendipitously have learned is twice as much as a carton and nearly four times as much as a peck, but a tall hamper is about as much as a bushel. So it's either a tall hamper of hope or a bushel of hope. Oh, but a sack, a sack is almost twice as much of a bushel. So let's start off with a sack full of hope. <laughs> I, I think you have officially proven yourself to be the corniest man <laughs> currently alive. Thank you. It's a proud moment. Do I get a trophy? Sure, I'll make you one. You know, corn comes in bushels. And, no, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll move forward. <laughs> have you heard the, the John Innes Center in England has created something to make Levodopa more affordable around the world? I have heard about this. Scientists there have produced a tomato, a tomato enriched with levodopa, believe it or not. That is amazing. (laughs) Science, science is awesome. Uh, The humble tomato. Uh, Now we're looking at a picture of one of these levodopa enriched tomatoes. How would you describe it? It's kind of like um, a tomato crossed with an apple. Yeah, it's very fleshy. Darker in color. Yeah, it's, it's fleshy and light inside, not red like a typical tomato. And, and, but you can see the seeds yeah, and yeah. whatnot. It's just a different color. It's a little darker. It's like a brownish. Uh, it, it's not appealing to look at, but, um, you know. No. <laughs> but once you know what it is, right. it kind it's of like, makes sense. Whoa. It's like, you know, it's like striking gold. It was apparently chosen because it is a widely cultivated crop that can be easily scaled up to offer an affordable natural source of levodopa. Oh, yeah, yeah. So right now it takes eight or nine tomatoes, apparently. That's about a kilogram to produce 150 milligrams of levodopa, (laughs) which is about how much to you? So... (laughs) <laughs> it's about 114 <laughs> tomatoes per day. <laughs> that's a lot of tomatoes. That doesn't. That's not even really a tomato. <laughs> well, I guess you don't have to eat them. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Uh, no, we, I don't. I, the way I read it, you don't need to eat them. <laughs> the, good. Good. <laughs> the aim now. The aim now is to create a production pipeline where levodopa is extracted from the tomatoes and purified into the pharmaceutical product. So it's not about eating the tomatoes. It's about producing it in a more efficient manner. Uh, Professor Kathy Martin is behind the idea for the genetically modified tomato enriched with levodopa. She believes this will have a great impact on developing nations where access to the pharmaceutical drugs are restricted. Currently, 
Only 40% of the world has access to levodopa. I can't even imagine not having it. And even those who do have it can't always afford it. So this will provide an alternative with very little infrastructure. And these unique tomatoes also offer benefits for people who suffer adverse effects from Cinemets or other brands of carbidopa levodopa, including nausea and behavioral complications. So all in all, uh, it's, it's quite a tomato. Quite a tomato. Three tomatoes are walking down the street. Papa tomato, mama tomato, and baby tomato. Baby tomato starts lagging behind, and Papa tomato gets really angry, goes back and squishes him, says, ketchup. Hmm. <laughs> ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> when you have to repeat the, the punchline. Oh, that, that was a funny joke, uh, but in hindsight, <laughs> it, it may not be the most classy transition from Uma Thurman's tomato joke in Pulp Fiction to Debbie Brooks, the co-founder of the Michael J. Fox Foundation, uh, but I'm going to own this one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Remember your title and own it. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know what, dear? I love you from my head to my toes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> serious now. This is my serious face. Uh, knowledge okay. is knowing tomatoes are a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put them in a fruit salad. Okay. Let that sink in for a bit. I'm willing to take a gamble that Debbie Brooks has both knowledge and wisdom. Uh, as the Michael J. Fox Foundation marks 20 years of groundbreaking research, I'm honored to be working with them on a multi-part podcast series, looking back and celebrating some of the amazing work that has been done. Episode one of the series is now available on Apple Podcasts and MichaelJFox.org. The first two episodes, I talk with co-founder and executive vice chairman Debbie Brooks and CEO Todd Scher. Debbie said something that nearly made me do a spit take. Take, take, take a listen. Right now, we're on the precipice of understanding in some cases that we might be able to detect early or to really redefine when Parkinson's is starting for someone who has yet to show motor features, but we know they're at high risk. What? Wow. <laughs> Do you hear that? Yeah, so this is, this is about as close to Babe Ruth calling his home run shot in the 1932 World Series that will ever happen with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Hey, are you sure you're you're not due for some of your meds? <laughs> what are you saying here? <laughs> I, I, listen, I get a little creative at times. Uh, I guess I've always found MJFF to be cautiously optimistic, but rarely speaking with swagger. And here's the co-founder saying, we're on the precipice of a biomarker that can help detect Parkinson's in people who haven't shown any signs of symptoms. That's bold. It is bold. Does that surprise you? No. No, uh, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that we're close to it because, I mean, think, we, we met Joy Milne at the uh, World Parkinson uh, 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 Congress, and, and she's the woman who can smell Parkinson's. We've had her on the podcast. She proved to the world that you can, uh, there are ways to identify people with Parkinson's uh, before the symptoms arise. So what we've not been able to do is clone Joy. <laughs> right. That would be the next step. 
<laughs> right. It's fairly inefficient for her to just go around smelling random people. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I am excited for whatever they are close to unveiling. And once we can identify it, then we can try to stop it in its tracks prior to the onset of the symptoms. So you, first you, you identify and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I know you don't have symptoms, but you've got Parkinson's. And then you go, but we've got a way to stop it before you get the symptoms. Now, that would be amazing. It would. There was a headline, I think, last month that researchers at Simon Fraser University here in Vancouver, they're developing a drug to halt the progression of Parkinson's disease. And when I read the article, it was my understanding that this is a completely new conceptual strategy for Parkinson's because the team is trying to increase the levels of an enzyme inside the brain that is genetically linked to Parkinson's. I talked to one of the guys behind that study, Beck. Uh, his name is David Vocadlo. He's a faculty member in molecular biology and biochemistry and Canada Chemical Biology Chair at SFU. And, you know, I, uh, I attempted <laughs> to say the, the name of the enzyme. And the enzyme is, and I'm going to take a wild guess at trying to pronounce this, glucocerebrosidase. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Glucosurine <laughs> it, It's the biggest word I've ever said in my life. <laughs> so what is it? Glucosurebrosidase is an enzyme within cells. And what it does is it actually cuts uh, a sugar unit off of a fat that's normally in a membrane. And, and this fatty component and the sugar component are normally linked together. Uh, and they float around in the cell and the enzyme cuts the sugar off. So if that enzyme is not working properly, what happens is that that fat essentially with the sugar starts to accumulate within the cell. And it's thought the accumulation of this fat attached to the sugar unit is actually toxic to the cell. And it promotes the clumping together of another protein that's been really closely linked to Parkinson known as alpha-synuclein. Okay, and which leads to Lewy bodies. Exactly, yeah. So. Alpha-synuclein is a big component of Lewy bodies. And so people that have a deficiency in this enzyme, glucosuribrosidase, actually tend to develop Parkinson's disease earlier on in their lives. And, so, and sometimes the, the symptoms are more severe as well. Uh, and now where are you in the, in the process of developing a drug? Yeah, I, what we're doing is relatively early stage discovery research. And so we have this new idea about a way of intervening to promote the activity of this enzyme. Because the idea is that in Parkinson's disease, this enzyme activity is impaired. So our thinking is, can we increase the activity of this enzyme and thereby slow or stop the progression of Parkinson's disease? And so the strategy that we're using is to create molecules that actually bind to this enzyme and help it move through the cell to end up at the right spot where it can act and break apart this fatty sugar, essentially. What was your aha moment? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I would add here, you know, this has been a really fun collaboration with a number of different people uh, throughout Canada. So at Simon Fraser University, the project is actually led by uh, Professor Andy Bennett, who's a specialist uh, carbohydrate chemist and what's called a physical organic chemist. And so he develops these special types of molecules. And we're also teamed up with a synthetic chemist who specializes in making complicated molecules. His name's Professor Rob Britton. 
and then a structural biologist who solves the structures of enzymes in complex with these molecules, Professor Brian Mark at the University of Manitoba. And so teaming up together, I think we realized that we had this set of complementary skills. And I've been working on this enzyme, glucoserbrosidase, for some time. And Professor Andy Bennett's been studying how these molecules can interact with other enzymes that cut sugars. And so we kind of put our heads together and we said, oh, this could really work nicely. We tested it in some cell models and we saw some positive effects essentially after making these molecules uh, together as a team. Now, now when that, that happens, you know, is there a high five? Is it a celebratory drink? Yeah, there were high fives. And uh, I believe that there was some, you know, there were some drinks to be had for sure. Uh, this was pre-COVID, of course. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, if everything turns out the way that you uh, think it might, is this uh, potentially neuroprotective or neuroregenerative? Yeah, I, I would... I, I wouldn't say it's uh, regenerative. This is a... I would like for you to. <laughs> well, I think everyone would... Really, I think what's going to happen probably in the future in terms of management of a lot of neurodegenerative diseases, one is to stop the disease progressing and the other one is to regenerate the neurons. Because I think it's very difficult. It's going to be difficult to eradicate the disease within the brain because it's these clumps of protein. So even if you put new cells there those clumps are still going to spread eventually to the new cells. So you kind of have to stop the spreading and then regenerate the cells and keep that spreading from continuing or starting again. When you're trying to create a drug, <laughs> I mean, it, this is this is a, a long process. So you're three years into this uh, research. How long before it potentially becomes uh, into human trials and then uh, on onto you know pharmaceuticals and into the drugstore? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, speaking from experience, I can say it's a long process. You know, the the time of basic discovery, you've got this set of what's called preclinical research, and that preclinical research starts with understanding what's going on and what's going wrong within the body and within cells, and then you identify these pathways that are going wrong, you figure out a way to try to correct those pathways and you'll test them in cells, these compounds. You know, that, that can be probably three to four years. And then you've got this molecule and you'll test it in animal models. And that'll be, you know, one year if it's really fast and works great, a couple of years if you got to tinker a little bit. So over now, you're looking at somewhere between five to six years, essentially. And at that point, then you'll need to go through all kinds of what are called preclinical toxicology studies. And those get really expensive. And so normally what happens is you'll need to partner with a company that has deep pockets to support that type of research where you're doing the detailed toxicology. And only then can you go on into human clinical trials. So that period of time would be really, you know, a quick time would be about eight years, essentially. Whew. And how do you stay motivated? Well, I think, you know, as a scientist, you learn an incredible amount of patience, right? So you see these things unfolding slowly. And the real motivation, I think, in the end for me is that um, mm. one is you get to work with a lot of really uh, young, talented scientists and help in their training. But two, I, you know, I dream of doing something that's going to be helpful for society. And I think if I if I can contribute in that way, 
I would feel very fulfilled to be able to do that. Well, and, and, and not only would this contribute to society if this actually came to fruition. I mean, it's really important to note that uh, over the 203 years of Parkinson's disease, there's really only been one treatment that's the gold standard. That's levodopa. It was discovered over 50 years ago. Everything since then has been a different way to, to deliver it or a different way to enhance the absorbance of it or just treating the symptoms of the disease. But nothing has been disease-modifying. This would be disease-modifying. That's correct, yeah. I mean, that's a major issue with neurodegenerative diseases is, this, is the slow progression of them requires some type of disease-modifying therapy, really. It's not like treating an infection where you, you know, you, you all of a sudden you get really sick and you treat it and bang, the infection's gone. With these types of things, you need to intervene and, and alter the course of the disease. And thus far, we haven't been, we haven't known enough to be able to do that. I think we're just at the point now where we're identifying all the genes which are linked to these diseases, and it's opening up a new period where research can really flourish in developing disease-modifying therapies. Now, people are going to say, uh, oh, wait a second, why does it take eight years if it only took a year to get the COVID uh, shot? Yeah, well, again, I think this is a this is one of the issues is, you know, with COVID, which is obviously really terrible, it's an infectious disease. And we, we really know about coronaviruses already, and we know how they act and, you know, how they're getting into cells in a broad sense. And vaccine technologies have been around, well, you know, for a long, long time. In terms of developing a disease-modifying approach for neurodegenerative disease, that's a lot more problematic because fundamentally we're, we're just now kind of peeling back the, the, the shutters and trying to look inside to understand the processes that are going on. Coupled with that is, you know, for, for COVID, a treatment, it's a, generally you'll have a dose or two doses in some of these vaccines and you'll get protection for a long time. With neurodegenerative diseases, you're gonna to need to take doses regularly. And so these molecules need to be studied really in depth to be sure that they're very safe. What's, what's the next big uh, stage for this? Yeah, so the next big stage will be to tweak the molecule. So essentially at this point, what we've got is we've got a molecule which shows some activity. And we want to try to pr improve on that activity and test it in different patient cells that have different mutations in this gene, as well as other genes, to show that this approach can be broadly applicable. Then we want to try to tweak those molecules to improve them to see if we can derive a, a larger beneficial effect in the cells. Once we've done that, we move on to testing in models animal models of the disease, essentially. And so uh, that would be when? Next year? <laughs> I'm just, you know, no, no pressure, but, you know, my brain cells are currently dying. Yeah. Well, you know what I would say is this is actually, you know, this is a time where there is a, an enormous amount of research into Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And Parkinson's in particular, there is a lot of uh, a different approaches being explored. So, you know, I interact with a few uh, companies and, and I know that there are some other promising strategies being pursued. So I, I remain optimistic. I mean, that's that's in part my nature, but, uh, but I genuinely am optimistic that we're going to be seeing something in the next few years. That's amazing. And the fact that he's validating what 
us in the Parkinson's community seem to be noticing is there just seems to be a lot going on and a lot of innovations and a lot of people paying attention to the disease and seeing the potential for affecting the community in a positive way. Well, yeah, and this, I mean, the fact that this would be the first real new treatment for Parkinson's since 1967 uh, is, is just exciting to think about. Uh, I'm still shaking my head thinking about what a difficult and grueling process it is to make a new medication. And thank the Lord there are people with patience and a penchant for details like David Vicadlo. Eight years from now, when this drug potentially could be ready, I'll be 57. And if we can stop PD in its tracks in me before I turn 60, that would be um, a miracle. I was listening again to the last episode, the episode about Team Ralph. Ralph Richardson is 80. He has Parkinson's and Lewy body dementia. You told me about a new therapy he was using, but I didn't hear it in the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we had to cut a few things, but we have time now. Ralph is using lasers, <laughs> which is cool. 80-year-old using lasers. Uh, his wife, Barris, told me all about it. Well, one of the things uh, that we have been using for three years is what's called the V-Lite, which is a laser headset that looks a bit like the headset you've got on right now. And it has four electrodes, two on the sides, one on the front, one on the back. We put that on 20 minutes a day, every single night. That is one of the things that has kept Lewy body dementia at bay. That and is, is that the ultraviolet light? Uh, no, it's a laser actually. Okay. It's laser. It was uh, recommended by a doctor here in Moncton and he set us up. And uh, when it wasn't working for a week, I had to send it to Toronto to be repaired. He was like, there's a difference. There was a huge difference. Just a huge difference. He couldn't express himself. He couldn't obey instructions like exercises or anything like that. He just, it's a huge thing. I just wish that Health Canada would consider it. They won't approve it here. So it's an amazing thing, especially with um, diseases like Alzheimer's. Um, the doctor who recommended his mother-in-law had Alzheimer's. She got to the point where she could not cook, clean, grocery shop, take care of herself. She couldn't talk. She had one treatment. The next day she was talking. She's now doing everything. Everything. She takes care of herself. She runs her own home because of the laser. But how does it work? It's just like it, it flashes on and off on these four electrodes and it beams a laser into the brain, into like here and here. And they're not really sure how it works, but they know that it stimulates the cells, especially in the front cortex of the brain. And there's a, a nod, like a probe that goes up the nostril. Well, yeah, that's a direct connection to the brain. Which would go to the front cortex of the brain which is like the control center in terms of speech and all that. So I know it works. I just wish Parkinson's would look at it and oh, you can show it. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, that's what it looks like. So you can see these white mm -hmm. things are the electrodes. Okay. And 
this then there's one that goes up the nose and it, it sits on the head it's hard to get it on right but i honestly think it's one of the greatest inventions it's, you go online it should be light.com and you can buy them they're expensive $2,500 but we got a huge reduction because we worked through a doctor right so well that's really interesting I, i'm fascinated by that hey ralph how do you like being a laser guy Spot. I love it. <laughs> yeah, good, good. So I'm looking at a picture of this device online at vlight, V-I-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. And it looks, <laughs> which, what should we say, awkward? Inelegant. Uncomfortable, a <laughs> little bulky. Painful. Yeah, it, it looks very futuristic, very uh, Borg-like in a way. <laughs> There's something going up the nose. Right. It doesn't look like it's complete. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm I'm so happy that it that it works for Ralph and others, I'm sure. Um, but it, you know, just the picture alone, it looks it does look a little awkward. But you do what you have to do, I suppose, right? Well, yeah, but it's so it's, it is like a headset, like a double headset. So you have something almost like a CPAP, right? Uh, where it has like straps going around your head, and then you, you've got this little sensor that goes up your nose. Right. Uh, and they're they're they've got these casual people just hanging out with it on, like right. it's no sitting big on deal. his deck. Like, nobody will notice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's only for short periods of time, right? That you wear this. It's not you're not wearing it all day. Right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, it uses near-infrared light, which is electromagnetic. Okay, so it's not the ultraviolet that I, I assumed it was. No, and it's not like a, you know, a lamp, you know, right. a sun lamp that you use in the wintertime. It is still considered experimental. The company makes no claims beyond a theoretical perspective, but clini clinical trials are ongoing, which is good news, yep. including studies into how it might help people with Parkinson's. Uh, and I also saw on the website they've done studies in Alzheimer's, PTSD, depression, COVID-19, brain injury, concussion. So they're just trying to figure out the, the, the useful applications for this. Uh, I, I was thinking, you know, I'm looking at this, I'm like, well, I just might as well shove a light bulb up my nose and call it a day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, V-Light uh, is a step ahead of me. You might ask, can't you do this with just a light bulb? The answer is no. It takes a combination of science and engineering to deliver the light energy to the mitochondria to energize them. Our devices produce no harmful side effects and no excessive heat, delivering safe and comfortable user experience. What sets us apart from other forms of brain stimulation is our patented intranasal technology. There are no significant barriers in the nasal passage to obstruct the transmission of light from the nose to the brain's ventral area. This area is well connected to the memory processing areas and other networks in the brain. Through the combination of transcranial and intranasal PBM, V-Light devices offer the most holistic photobiomodulation approach. What is also important, our wearable devices are designed for personal use at home, in your office, at your gym, and even while driving. <laughs> Can you imagine, A, driving with this thing on? Uh, I have enough trouble driving as it is. Can you imagine getting pulled over with the cops with this device on your head? 
<laughs> yeah, but if you have a bit of a commute, it might actually be a good way to spend it. Feel better at the end of your commute rather than worse. <laughs> where where at the gym where you're trying to pick up somebody with this weird device on your head. <laughs> right. uh, uh, but hey, I love that this works for Ralph, and I'm glad that we're putting lasers to the test. Uh, the worst review that I found online was a one-star review because it didn't clear up my nasal congestion. Um. I'm not sure they ever claimed to do that. Uh, I think he might have missed the whole point of the V-Lite. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Dave Clark? I do. Yeah, he's been on the podcast a couple times, right? Yeah, he was in the Muhammad Ali episode, and we had about a 50-minute conversation with him last April. This month marks Dave's 10th year since his Parkinson's diagnosis. And when we last spoke, he talked about the importance of connecting people in the community. And he told a story about our next guest, Charlie Appleyard. But before we bring on Charlie, here's Dave Clark, former announcer on Sky TV. There's a, a, a Parkinson's football team recently. Yeah. And that all came about because there's a guy called Sam who came on my Coast to Coast walk. It, it, it see, seen online that, that um, I was doing this walk and he just turned up one morning. And said, do you mind, I've just been diagnosed with Parkinson's, do you mind if I talk to you and do a leg of your walk? And he read about this Ray Kennedy Cup, and I connected him with a guy called Charlie Appleyard, who's a mate of mine, who actually lived on my road. Mm. This was a strange story. A guy who I became friends with lived on my road. He was 39 years of age. And I said to my wife, he's got all the symptoms of Parkinson's. And... What do you do? Do you tell him? No. See a neuro neurologist? I couldn't say anything to him. And he, he, two years down the line, he took me to one side, went for a pint with him, and said, I've just been told I've got Parkinson's. Really strange situation. He's become a, a really good guy for the, the cause. And he, he took this team of footballers to the Ray Kennedy Cup in, in Copenhagen, and they reached the semifinals. It was amazing. But that all came about because of a guy walking on my coast-to-coast -coast walk, That's great. connecting with someone else and using, using the network. And, and it, it turned out a real force for good. It's fantastic. Did you uh, tell the guy that uh, was diagnosed that they, I knew two years ago? I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> he just said, I can't believe it. Ridiculous. I said, you're telling me something I already knew. It was, when, when you've had Parkinson's, you, get, you can spot a parkie 100 yards. <laughs> you know, the arm doesn't swing, slightly stooped. Don't blink when they look at you. Lots of things like that. But it could be something else, of course. It could have been, it could have been a whole load of things. Sure. But a brain tumor or something else. So I didn't want to say to him, I'm, I'm, not, I'm an expert in Parkinson's only because I've got it. And, and, and I've seen what's happened to other people over the years. But uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to diagnose him. But I was, I was pleased when he, he got the diagnosis. And, and I was there to support him. It was amazing. Dave was my neighbor, neighbor on the street. I just went up for a pint with him and told him I had Parkinson's. He said, yeah, you know, you've had it for two years. But it wasn't my position to tell you. Uh, it was Tuesday. But, um, you know, uh, he, he was great support to me. and sort of great friend today. And um, I think I've probably got it pretty, pretty, pretty under, under control, really, now. Hence why we're talking today. Ex lots of exercise, keeping positive, doing good stuff. You're doing, you're, doing, you're doing a lot of advocacy work right now. You just launched Sport Parkinson uh, in the UK, and it's a, I, I think it's a genius concept that should be replicated around the world. Why don't you explain to folks uh, sort of the intention for Sport Parkinson and how it works? Okay, cool. Well, Sport Parkinson's is a community interest company in the UK, and it all came about from when 11 of us, uh, Parkinson's 
uh, footballers met on Twitter uh, last year. We entered the European Championships and we did, we did really quite well. We came third in our first tournament and it gave everyone a really, really big lift, lots of positivity and lots of um, uh, hope, really. Uh, there's a great YouTube documentary on the Ray Kennedy Cup 2019. If you want to just search on Ray Kennedy Cup 2019 UKYPD. As a chairman of the Danish Parkinson Association, I am honoured to welcome you all here today to this soccer match, the Ray Kennedy Cup. I know that the people diagnosed with Parkinson often are met with a comment. As you have Parkinson, you are unable to play soccer. And I think you will agree with me saying that nothing could be more wrong with today's match for show us all. We've, uh, we've won all our games, so we've topped the group. Now we're in the semi-finals. It was meant to be people trying our best, but we didn't deserve to win that game, sadly. They were a good team. But we'll try again next year. It's just the start of UK IPD. Well done, everyone. Carry on. Friends, <laughs> friends for life. Friends for life. Yeah, definitely. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. Thank you. We, we thought if we can get such positivity from those 11 people, what could we do if we, if we went across the uh, Parkinson's world internationally? So let's talk about uh, something that I think is just going to be fantastic for the, uh, the global Parkinson's community. Um, it's called Race the Moon. Explain the concept as, as uh, clearly as you, as you can. It's, it, it, at first, uh, it may be a little mind-blowing. It's a little out of yeah. this world, but it, it, it all comes together. So, Charlie, go for yeah. it. Okay, so on World Parkinson's Day, on April the uh, 12th, there is a new moon. And the moon travels 1.45 million miles in 28 days around the lunar cycle. So what we're going to try and do, we're going to try and get the World Parkinson's community to do a cumulative 1.45 and 1 million miles in 27.9999 days to try and race the moon around the lunar cycle. I love it. And then how do we keep track of the miles? There's going to be two, well, Strava, which is a very, very popular fitness app in, in the UK, and over in Canada and USA as well. Basically, what it is, it's, 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 it's like a totalizer. Everyone enters. You can track your miles for the month, and hopefully everyone can um, cumulatively do, do this target. It's not just for people with Parkinson's. It's for everyone in research, in Supporters, family, carers, doctors, PD nurses, anyone who's involved, anyone who's touched by Parkinson can be involved. So this is this is just like PD Avengers in that way, where it's not just about the people with Parkinson's, but it's about the whole community of Parkinson's and beyond, like anybody who's touched by it or or anybody who 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 may be touched by it. I mean, you think about yeah. one in 15 men in their lifetime will be touched by Parkinson's, will, will be yeah. diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, so uh, like this, this, this is truly, uh, if, you, if you're athletic right now and you want to take part, we, we need everybody walking and running and swimming and biking because it's going to take the, the world to come together to make this happen and for us to reach this goal. If you're not particularly mobile anymore and you've you, Parkinson's affecting you, your goal should hopefully be to do 28 in 28, 28 miles in 28 days. Yeah? 
hopefully everybody could do that. Whether you know, humans in mile a day. So if you're walking up and down your driveway or around your garden for a mile a day, hopefully that's still possible. Yeah. So that, that's mm-hmm. that would be the, the minimum we're looking for people to, to contribute. Okay. Yeah, I know I know Pure Parkinson's Trust have got three or four major cycling events in 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 May. So in April they're gonna be cycling hundreds of miles to prepare. So everyone can do that can do their own mileage. And it can be any sport. So it could be golf, running, cycling, indoor cycling, rowing, just general exercise. So it doesn't need to be um, uh, strenuous cardiovascular exercise. We're just trying to cover the miles and get people out there doing, doing being active. What an amazing way to engage a large number of people people. (laughs) It's a great idea, completely unique, probably never would have thought of that. And then because you get so many people involved and the goal is so big, it's just what you can do, right? right? If it's a, if it's a mile a day or it's just walking the golf course a couple of times a week or whatever it is that you normally do, that's fantastic. It's all going to add up to the mileage and it's going to get us there. It's great. Okay, now we'll have all the details for Race the Moon on pdavengers.com. I'll put it on social media feeds for the podcast, at Parkinson's Pod, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, The big announcement is coming Monday, January 11th, so look for it. To round out this uh, big old sack of hope, as you put it... Let's add some terabytes of teamwork, technology, and a brighter technical future for people with Parkinson's disease. See, you're, you're, you're getting it. Yeah, terabytes of teamwork. I love it. Um, <laughs> I want to introduce you to three guys. Rio Kudo from Portugal, uh, Kevin Krejci from the Silicon Valley, John Dean, who is in COVID entrapment with his parents in Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, they are self-proclaimed nerds. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and, and and they 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 have they own it. They uh, own Rui, it. Yes, they Good own it. Good for you. I'm not I'm not making fun of them. Um, Rui was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2012, and he's been a business informational consultant for 20 years. He he's attended web summits and hackathons and meetups to really better understand the scope of technologies out there. People with Parkinson's are each one is different, but they all have that that aspect. How long will we live? How is my work? What, what, what can I do? That's common. That's common to everyone. And sharing that makes us more comfortable and aware of, of the future. And uh, that's something that uh, the guy, to have a guidance, that's something that uh, relaxes us and makes us uh, continue to dream of doing. I mean, we, we live by a dream. Well, my dreams were, were shattered. And, and all, I mean, most of you guys will know what I what I understand when I say, when you say you have Parkinson's, if you are aware of it, it's like a, a atomic bomb that goes on your phone. And your how have you seen technology change in that time? Uh, well, actually, not much. Uh, I mean, I see, I see the, I, I, for one person that goes to, to Web Summit to, to, and sees the, the things that evolve from one year to another in, in the global sphere of high-end technology, it was a kind of disillusion to me uh, to to see what uh, to what we had in in, in Parkinson. I mean, I, I I I think sometimes I have more technology here in my room than the Parkinson people community have it, and that's a huge 
that's something that that hurts me a lot because uh, I mean the solutions are out there. Some of them can be hacked and and, and used for uh, a common and global global people to be more productive and more more uh, motivated. And actually, it's all it's a question of of knowledge of just communicating with people and sharing with them and giving them in their own language and people working with them. And that's something that moves me you know, every day. What's your what's your vision? So tell me, like in two or three years, Rui, what what, what do you see in the future? Um, I see um, a more connected, more connected community around the world. I see uh, solutions that will be more affordable to to uh, more d- different stages of of people and countries. And one thing that is that is very important is making the people is creating maturity. In the, in the society, there's lack of maturity of, of understanding what is Parkinson's and accepting as we are. That's one goal that I that I really want. Uh, really want to should uh, I want to do in three years? So the community accept people with Parkinson's as they are because it's growing a growing pandemic. Let's say like that. So we have to learn and to grow our our knowledge in, in society. So we have to. To make ways, pathways, so so that people can find the uh, easier way to first to 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 acknowledge that there is because, I mean, there's ten thousand people with Parkinson here in Portugal, for example, and we I go to the to 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 the to association. There's ten or ten or twenty. I mean, where are the others? They're mm-hmm. hidden because yeah. of barriers. There's there's barriers that that people that they're afraid of. There's the um, Insurance uh, that is a problem. The, the, there's the, the the workplace that we we're lucky, but people not all people are lucky because they're afraid of of losing the job. They don't know what to do. They don't have guidance. There there's a person the the, the a barrier of people that they're being accepted by the, the community because they, the people don't understand it and see this as a mental a mental problem, but it's not a, it's not they don't, they just don't understand it. Yeah, we worth something. So work with us so that we can be productive. That's mentality. We have to change that. And that's the goal that we have to do. I see it in three years. That's the most important thing. Yeah, well, you know, the PD Avengers really is about changing the the way people with Parkinson's are perceived and treated. And I think it's really important. You're right. The first time that I, I was I was aware of that, uh, it was the double PC. That was the first time that I saw something that could, that put together uh, people with with Parkinson, with medical and the, the scientists. That was something that a breakthrough for me. Something that gave me that this is possible. I think everybody leaves there with just this sense of, holy crap, we can do a lot. We can we can solve a lot. You were tell, telling me earlier that you believe we can non-evasively measure our dopamine. Yeah. The woman that smelled the, the party. Joy Mill. Yeah, Joy Mill. Uh, that was a huge thing for me because after after we found, uh, John sent me uh, uh, an article saying uh, the scientists find a non invasive way to, to detect the levels of dopamine using sweat. And that was, uh, and that was a, uh, that image that just that drive me because uh, if, if they detected that so in, the, in a band or something like that, so that we can make it do, do a wearable that could do that. So that good everybody could use it and and measure the levels of dopamine. So it's a way to to measure it and a way to 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 make it easier for us to to manage our daily lives. Kevin Krejci works for uh, Fujitsu Labs. He is a scout for new technologies. Follows big media trends. 
I tend to work a lot with startups in the uh, Silicon Valley and accelerators and venture capital and all that. And in the process, I've had a, made a lot of great connections and um, seen a lot of great innovation. Um, but then 2013 came along. I got diagnosed with this condition called Parkinson's disease. <laughs> so I was uh, kind of a wake-up call for me. And before that, I'd been kind of uh, starting to try out wearables and little gadgets. And I was part of this quantified self community, which is a bunch of geeks that get together in San Francisco now globally uh, to talk about how they measure and track different things from, you know, push-ups to uh, insulin levels and stress and sleep. So I started tracking my sleep uh, long ago with this little sleep cycle app on the iPhone. And I've since tried all sorts of other devices and I love my new Aura ring, for example. But I think I found that the challenge is still, there's so many things out there that can kind of help us is to manage our Parkinson's. But to manage all these apps is a thing that causes stress, which is not good for Parkinson's. So, <laughs> so my dream is to have it someday where, you know, we combine all the, the great, great minds come together and we can have something that really just takes care of us and helps us make the right decisions and normalize our ons and offs and all that good stuff. Yeah. So like an open source world where all these would talk to each other and then they could spit out sort of a, here's, here's what you need to know. Right. Right. Now you talked about this aura ring. What, 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 what is that? Basically it measures your heart rate and your temperature and your movement. So I actually end up getting a lot of steps because my hands going all over the place during the day. So it's, not the best for measuring steps, but it <laughs> yeah, goes wild too. I, I know what you mean. But the but the interesting thing is the heart rate variability, which is a, kind of a measure of stress. So having that, you know, measuring that has been really helpful to me to like kind of figure out what what works and what doesn't for stress. And are you keeping a journal of activities through the day too, so you can match those up? Yes, I do a combination. I it's hard to keep track of everything accurately, but. I do a few things like um, even just take pictures of what I eat, you know, because there's a timestamp and a, all the metadata there. So if I can go back and see, well, gee, what was I eating back when I had all this great, great sleep going on? John Dean is a speech therapist by training, working exclusively with Parkinson's since, since 2007. Uh, he's had a few startups. He's worked with a skilled nursing company, launched an interdisciplinary program modeled off Boz Bloom and his work in the Netherlands. He worked on an app for measuring symptoms. He's the former director of tech for Davis Finney Foundation. And for the past decade, he's worked with his wife, a Portuguese physiotherapist, Josefo Domingo, uh, on dual task interventions, exercises that combine movement, voice, and cognition. And I'm like, well, what, what's, what's the advantage of that? Well, as I like to say, life is a dual task activity, right? I mean, uh, and walking and talking is probably the ultimate dual task that we first learn how to do. Um, we know in Parkinson's that the changes in the basal ganglia where the, the, the deficits are, that circuitry is really important for kind of automating a lot of things. And so uh, individuals with Parkinson's end up having more difficulty with dual tasking. So it helps to overtrain and learn it. And I think it also makes it more fun and engaging and more like real life. So can you give me an example of what an exercise might look like or be like? Sure. Uh, you know, we do something like if we had we had something, this is actually a, um, a screen, uh, you know, a, a green screen, but we actually maybe have a video and certain things are coming up there, whether it's letters or it's a word or something like that. And you're doing a physical thing. You're reaching for something and you're tracking what's on there. Whenever it comes out, you say it out loud or you say a word that begins with that. 
So it's a kind of the kind of things like maybe you're getting out of your chair and your wife's asking you something. It's that kind of we're trying to replicate those kind of challenges, but do it in a way that has exercise. How can people uh, access uh, your exercises? Well, I think the easiest way to do it uh, is, is with an initiative we've been doing with the EPDA called Exercise Cast, and that's the European Parkinson's Disease Association. When COVID happened, we knew that we wanted to kind of pivot and produce something that people with Parkinson's who couldn't get access the way they could before because the gyms are all closed. And so we've been doing that for, for the year. And actually, Bial Pharmaceuticals has picked up uh, another version of it, and we've been doing another one that has even better production values. My nerd skills are, are rudimentary. I'm not a great designer. So we have two initiatives, both with the EPDA, that deliver interactive dual-task exercise. Just look for exercise cast on their website or keep on moving as the other one. And, and so that's an interesting way of involving technology in just, in, just, in just your regular exercise routine, which is which is you know really cool. Well, and all the great exercises and the classes and the physiotherapists and whatnot are always, that, that I've seen work with people with Parkinson's and other brain conditions, are always trying to combine the brain challenges with the body movements, with the exercise, getting your cardio up and all of that, and really doing that multitasking and challenging both your brain and your body in that way. So that's fantastic that there's a technology that can help you do that. Yeah, and he's even creating some, some, uh, some things for you like your, your Alexa. Uh, they're not quite ready yet, but uh, watch out for that. Um, and these three guys, these three guys, uh, they, they met at the World Parkinson Congress, and now they're teaming up for a parkathon, so it's Parkinson's meets a hackathon. The goal is to create a community that is more united to the, the to, from the, the need to the solution, and so that they can create a, a, create a better product because the, the product will be more reliable because people are more involved and will create more directly for people. So most of the times, I think the the the, the, the the people that need it are very far from the, the people that make it and deliver it. And that's the, the core of it. The core of it is to make the, the, the entrepreneurs aware of the, the, that we need solutions that they can make and that they can make their, 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 their company or their startup from solutions that can make things happen for people with Parkinson's. So we're, we're nerds we, because we, we seek things that, that we are passionate of. Well, and that's the thing, right? So the reason there may not be great apps out there is if, if, if I'm a nerd and I don't have a connection to Parkinson's, why would I create an app for Parkinson's unless there was a thing called Parkiathon? Yeah, and, and another thing that there's tons of Parkinson's uh, so technologies and apps that appear and disappear and nobody knows why so we're just trying to make sure that when, the, when there's something that can be useful that we that people get aware of and and make that useful for the future and make people and make sure that people continue working on it they continue to to, to progress on the process that's the more important thing and that's the the spirit of it and building global awareness of Parkinson's. I think it's the fastest growing neurological disease in the world. And people still go, well, what about Alzheimer's? It's really bad. It's like, well, <laughs> uh, let me let me tell you about my friend, the pandemic. 
the other pandemic, Parkinson's. Uh, speaking of, uh, of 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 you know the, the Parkathon, you know it's it's obviously based on hackathons, which we've all probably heard of, even if we don't know what they are. Kevin, you're in uh, Silicon Valley right now, uh, where you know you know I think of social network where they plug in and they're in the zone and they're coding for three straight hours or whatever. This is kind of the concept of the Parkathon, right? Uh, right. Yeah, I think to some degree um, we're thinking, you know, how do we get to that point where, you know, we can bring a lot of minds together to solve problems. And the kind of thing that inspired me was just being here in Silicon Valley, going to the tech crunch disrupt events and things like that, where you have all these startups and entrepreneurs, you know, eating pizza and drinking coffee and going 24 hours, you know, straight and just trying to come up with an actual you know, proof of concept kind of thing. But then we started doing this thing uh, with some of my colleagues uh, from Japan. We come here and gather in Silicon Valley, a diverse group of people, 20, 30 people. And it might be, you know, some company like NHK or, or sake company or some other company from Japan would come here and they would pose a question like, what's news going to be like in 10 years? And, you know, we'd start thinking about it and we'd, we'd come up with um you know, the little groups would split off and we'd have kids with us, you know, very diverse, come up with some crazy ideas that were just unbelievable. And, you know, then they get up and do a little pitch at the end of that. Um, each group would do a pitch and then there's a panel of judges and they vote their favorites and all that. But it was just great because it got people thinking about the problem at hand and how do we solve it. So that's kind of the spirit I'm thinking. Um, I think we're all thinking. But eventually at the World Parkinson Congress, you know, we'd love to have some kind of a virtual and a physical event at the same time, bring all these different people together. That's one thing I really liked about the World Parkinson Congress. You know, when I went there right after I was diagnosed in 2013, just to see all these people come together, you know, caregivers, patients, uh, researchers, doctors, lawyers, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And you'd see these researchers have been working on lab rats all their life and they're meeting Parkinson's patients for the first time. And so hearing our stories and vice versa, I like that chemistry. Yes. Yeah. And I know it's, 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 it's really, for me, it was life-changing when I went there. I'd never, never been in a room with 75 other people with YOPD and it just like blew my mind. And then like you begin talking to people and realize, Hey, we have the same symptom track. Like it started with the gate and it started like, it's like, like we're like twins for Parkinson's. Uh, so that, I mean, it's, it, it really, I mean, you know, I, now I have friends all over the world. It's inspired me to, 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 to do the BD Avengers. It's inspired you guys to do the Parkathon. It's inspired so many things around the world. It's, it's, I, I give so much credit to the, the World Parkinson Coalition and especially Eli Pollard, who runs right. the whole, whole, whole shebang. She's amazing. Um, John Dean, um, how do I get involved? Well, uh, we are going to do a small event in uh, May to kind of get ideas, and we're going to keep running to get towards uh, uh, the actual event in January. So in the meantime, what I tell people to do is to visit our website, which is www.parkython.com, P-A-R-K-Y-T-H-O-N.com. And um, there's places there to get involved. There's places to send startups to if they want to get signed up. And who's the ideal person to, to be a part of Parkython? 
again, it's, we're really trying to make sure that there's a large, you know, you, you hear about a hackathon and you think it's a bunch of either kids or it's a bunch of, you know, people trying to break into banks or something like that, which is not what this is. <laughs> we want people with ideas who are looking to build cool ideas and we also want them to get connected to startups. So what we're trying to do is make something that's visible and easy access and for people to collaborate and to actually do something that that uh, that is useful and 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 it, and it is useful for a big a long time because I don't want to keep changing what I use uh, I just want to use something that makes me work I just take my hat off to you actually I'm not taking my hat off I'm keeping it on cuz I've got bed hair uh, but uh, I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, uh, taking the initiative to, to, to pull the communities together. Uh, it, I mean, it is just like the WPC, only with nerds and people with Parkinson's. There's some overlap in the nerds and Parkinson's, I think, but yes. <laughs> and why do you think that is, John? You, you know, honestly, I mean, seriously, I, there is a very high representation of engineers and attorneys and medical professionals and educators. And I, I, we don't know exactly why that is. Um, obviously, there's other other groups that get affected. You know, when you talk about uh, ending Parkinson's and the exposure to chemicals, that's a different area, but just looking right down the middle. So why that is, I don't know. But I, I lived in Colorado for 15 years, and I think I saw maybe 400 engineers that worked for IBM. <laughs> it's like, it's like, ah, yeah, I, you, you must know, blah, 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 right? They're all out there. Lots of type A executives. Uh, and I think it has to do with stress and inflammation. Could be. That's interesting. I think you're onto something there. Here, here's my idea. And, and, and you guys could run with it. You know, as, as we're putting together the park, uh, the PD Avengers, and I begin talking to people all around the world in, in, in countries that are far flung, that, that you don't have neurologists, don't have access to medication. We, what we need is a, an easy way to diagnose, to self-diagnose or somehow uh, to virtually diagnose people with Parkinson's globally that is affordable, that is effective, uh, that is real. And if you think about the way that you diagnose Parkinson's, it's you don't have to interact with anybody. Dr. Parkinson's never interviewed his subjects. He just watched them. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you think about that, uh, you, you could actually set up like a, any kind of camera and, and just tell people to, what they need to do to, to capture it, send it off somewhere, and they could get the results back officially so they could get access to medication. If there was some, some sort of app like that that could facilitate that, that could be game-changing worldwide. It, and that same tool, I think, not only could help you with initial diagnosis, but going back to Rui's uh, interest in a dopamine sensor, mm. you're talking about uh, uh, markerless motion capture or something like that, with a, which I think is a very good technology. I, I think as robust and even more portable is voice as a biometric and mm -hmm. interface. And I do think that's coming. I think I, I know of at least 84 different projects that are using voice to identify Parkinson's and where are they're at. Four. Yeah. 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 There's a billion of them out there. Are they av av any of them available now? There are several that are available as a service. A um, uh, couple out on the East Coast, you know, Sandy Health, which is Jim Harper at MIT, is a really good one. Neuralex, um, Canary Speech in Provo, Utah. There's a bunch of them, but um, not all of them are doing it as well. Some of them have different projects. My biggest concern about this, and this is me being political, is. Uh, 
that data really should be going to you people with Parkinson's first. And I see some business models that I'm a little worried about. Like yeah. I know somebody that's hooked in with an insurance company. So everyone calls in, they're using it for that. It's like, that's not okay. But, well, it's the same problem with research. It's, you know, uh, my, my, my uh, mantra now is patience before patents. Mm. Absolutely. I like that. That's a nice ring. <laughs> we need a digital repository. You know, Kevin's talking about places to store all the data. We need a yeah. digital place where you guys can put your data first and mm -hmm. you can get your insights first. And then you can decide, I want to share it with Michael J. Fox. I want to share mm -hmm. it with somebody uh, yeah. just because it's valuable information, but it's mm -hmm. not people first so you can figure out how to make it do something. Right. Oh, this is this is great. I'm excited. Uh, you've got a year to, to warm everybody up to it. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge success. I, I don't think you're going to be able to handle it all. I think it, you, you, <laughs> I think the people are going to come out of the woodwork just thrilled that this is happening. So uh, good on you and congratulations. I think we need a radio host to, to uh, there. <laughs> Someone that you can invite. <laughs> whatever, whatever you need, Rui, I'm there for you. All right. So much hope out there for new ways of making medicine more accessible uh, to discoveries of biomarkers and targeting enzymes to halt the progression of PD. And hope through experimental technologies, bringing the global community together to build awareness by racing the moon. And Parkathon, <laughs> connecting nerds with PWP and other creatives to solve real issues in the PD community. Oh, there's so much, so much stuff going on right now. It's hard to pack it all into one episode. And in fact, we didn't. There's so much more we could talk about. <laughs> Tons of great events and activities are being planned by groups and organizations throughout this year, 2022 and beyond. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Our story producer is Dila Velasquez, sound designed by Greg Schott. The presenting partner is Parkinson Canada diagnosed with Parkinson's, you are not alone. Parkinson.ca. Thanks also to our promotional partners, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. The Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's podcast hosted by Larry Gifford. Available on Apple Podcasts and at michaeljfox.org. The World Parkinson Congress 2022 in Barcelona, Spain. We're going there. You getting ready, honey? Sweet. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah. Top us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who can't wait? Uh, go to WPC2022.org for details on special virtual events that you can participate in right now. And PD Avengers. Woohoo. Ready to help end Parkinson's? Join now at PDAvengers.com. And she means it. Do it now, pdavengers.com. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please give the show a five-star rating and feel free to comment. You also can engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. Oh, and be sure to share a link to the podcast with your friends on email, uh, Facebook, Twitter, your blog, wherever you can put it. Maybe you want to buy a billboard in your town. That'd be great. <laughs> we'll, we'll take anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.